welcome to episode 10 of HokoCast, your local podcast sponsored by the Howard County Library System. In this episode, we celebrate two years of episodes that have brought you local Howard County happenings from engaging interviews to insightful book reviews. Over the past two years, interviews of local leaders conducted by our teen podcasters, Abby, Baz, Daniel, Emerson, Olivia, and Ronan, have enlightened and entertained our community. Let's listen to several interesting interview clips covering a wide range of topics, such as local paranormal activity, the importance of resilience, how to be an ally for the Black Lives Matter movement, tips for dealing with procrastination, best practices for hedgehog care, and the Brave Voices, Brave Choices program working for equity and justice in Howard County. Why do you think this geographic area is so concentrated with ghosts? Well, Emerson, there are a lot of reasons why experts believe Ellicott City is a hotbed for supernatural activity. The first is what it's made of. Ellicott City is built um, on bed of granite. Ellicott City granite is very unique because it has layers of crystal in it. Oh. So anybody who knows anything about crystals or their energetic properties can tell you that one thing they do is sort of track and keep energy. For sure. So that's one of the things that happens. As spirits pass, they aren't able to leave. The The bedrock of granite on City, in Ellicott City keeps them there. And um, even more so, when the town was founded back in the 1700s, they quarried a ton of this granite and built a lot of the city out of it. So all these buildings and homes and shops were made of Ellicott City granite. And um, many of the older homes, um, even when they've been rebuilt and renovated, their foundation is still made of Ellicott City granite. Yeah. So the next reason has to do with two rivers. The Tiber and the Patapsco are part of Ellicott City. I mean, a big part of it. Everybody yeah, yeah. knows about Definitely. the floods, right? <laughs> um, but it was also one of the reasons that Ellicott City became a town. It provi- they provided transportation, um, water. They mm-hmm. provided a great way to um, have farms and grow crops. But when it comes to the paranormal, those rivers are yet another thing moving and holding energy down. So um, many experts in the paranormal field believe that running water will always retain spirits. Oh, so we have, interesting. So we have two reasons now. Moving in. Um, as time passed and Ellicott City became a bigger town, an electrical grid was built on top. So when you go right down Main Street, you will see the whole power grid is on top above the buildings or in the street. Mm-hmm. So it creates yet another electromagnetic field keeping things from going up. Oh. So there's like a perfect a perfect storm, a trap, where these ghosts can't leave. And then there's one more thing. Oh. Ellicott City is just full of antiques and original build. Many ghosts aren't necessarily bound to a place, but to a thing. So there are ghosts who might be bound to a necklace or a chair or a doll. And they stay with that until, for whatever reason, they decide to cross over or move on. So all of these reasons combine to make Ellicott City into what we call a thin place. 
thin place, meaning the curtain between our will and the next is, is sheer, and it's very easy to step back and forth. Wow, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that Ellicott City just had so much going for it to be such a ghost hotspot. That's crazy. Absolutely, and a hotspot it is indeed. They say that um, in Maryland, it is the most haunted town per square foot. Well, you clearly have a lot of, uh, a lot of, I guess, accomplishments and community impact surrounding Freetown Farms. But what do you see as the greatest potential impact being? Right now, I've been thinking a lot about resilience, especially in crisis. Um, so resilience is really about being able to maintain the essential character of some sort of entity, whether it's a person or a family or a community. Um, or an ecosystem in the face of challenges. And so how, how can we, as a community, if we just wanna look at Howard County, um, really be resilient in the face of crises like COVID-19, um, the climate crisis is going to create many, many challenges that already has, like we've seen with the Ellicott City flooding. What can we do to make sure that our local systems are really well connected and supported so that we can weather these storms um, as well as possible and ideally come out more connected and in some ways, different ways, stronger than perhaps we were before. So I think to me, this idea of um, like a re-emphasis on the local, not to say that we won't continue to be connected more broadly, those broader connections are really important, but when systems start to break down, how do we make sure that we're meeting as many of our needs locally as we can? How do we know our neighbors well enough that we can be there to support one another? And so I think the Community Ecology Institute is really well poised to help people pause and think about and learn skills and develop knowledge around things that support resilience. So whether it's growing your own food or feeling like you can take action around climate change in your own household or building community, really getting to know your neighbors, getting to know people who have similar interests and passions or um, learning skills that maybe our grandparents and great grandparents knew, but most of us have really lost, like, again, growing food, but then preserving food, um, how to fix things that are broken, you know, those sorts of, um, that knowledge and skill building around um, local networks and resilience, I think is something that has been appealing to a certain niche of people um, already, but I think a much broader um, portion of the community is likely to have interest in developing that knowledge after going through this crisis. So going on about like things that you can do in your community and like taking that action, how can Howard County citizens of all races be allies and supporters for the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, I love that question. Um, so, so the first thing I want to say is that I think um, I think statements and gestures and removing of monuments, that kind of stuff, protests, rallies are important. Um, I also think the end what piece is equally as important. Yeah. And so the follow through, yeah. So I love the, I went to the Black Lives Matter rally. Um, I, I, time is like escaping me. So I don't know, <laughs> a month ago or was that like, two months ago? I don't know, whenever that was, the youth led rally. Um, and was so, I actually started to cry. And my daughter was like, why are you crying? And I was like, this is beautiful. Like, this is what I want to see. Like, this is what you want to see in your community, this level of activism. And I've seen, I saw people there who um, I know, actually been as many people who I know. And I love that that happened. And I love that people attended that. And now what? 
right? And so what are you doing now? How are you looking at programs um, at your organizations? How are you looking at initiatives? How are we supporting these young people? I put something on Twitter that said something like, don't let these young folks' activism be in vain, adults. Like, right. how do we now look at the, the, look at systemic racism and look at the issues that have been part of the fabric of our country for 400 years and really look at policies and procedures and initiatives and programs, excuse me, <laughs> that address those issues. Um, and then the other piece of it is look at your leadership, look at your boards, look at your commissions. Are the commissions, are they reflective of the broad diversity in our community? And we really have broad diversity. And so, yeah. um, so that's what I would say. A lot of um, pressure from all sorts of things. And, and one of the main ones is procrastination. Any student will tell you how detrimental procrastination is, but they keep falling into that trap. What steps can students take to minimize procrastination and stay organized? When I saw this question, I just loved it because one, I'm not an expert at like keeping a good schedule. I am like procrastinator time <laughs> Um, and I think that's so important just to be able to say, like, I do it too, and I'm mid-30s, and I haven't quite found what works. Um, so, you know, it impacts us whether we go to school, whether we're a teenager, whether we're old, young, have experience, not have experience. So I think the big thing is limiting procrastination. It's a skill that takes time, um, and we have to work at it. It's not something that we just, start, I think, are born and, you know, we're able to get tasks right. done. That's a hard thing to, yeah. to do, especially when you guys have busy lives, busy schedules. So, um, you know, some things that I always took away, I always remember college professors and like managers that I had in the workforce saying, you know, you know, it's not healthy to do it. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. You're leaving room for mistakes. And my response was always in college. Oh, I work better being under pressure. You know, I do a good job and then I would get good grades or be successful. Right. And it was like, well, maybe they're right, but I'm able to do this. So I'll just keep procrastinating. I'll still wait to the last minute. That's when my creative juices get going. But as I've aged, I've realized that it takes a toll on my mental health. It causes me stress. I panic. You know, I'm not prepared. I'll say things or do things that I didn't mean to. Um, so it is, you know, finding out that balance, finding out what works for you. Right. And I think one of those things is figuring out one, why we're procrastinating. You know, is it because we're scared of a task? We don't think we're competent to do that task. Um, you know, we fear the result of it. You know, what is causing us to not want to get things done? Um, and I think once we figure out those barriers, it'll probably help make it a little bit easier. Yeah, some tips that I've kind of learned over the last couple of years is one, positive self-talk. You know, I always think, would I talk to a friend or a loved one how I talk to myself? So if I'm scared of the task, I think I'm incompetent. I think I'm going to fail at it. You know, I'm not going to say things like, Amanda, like, you're going to do awful at this or you can't do this. No, I wouldn't say that to one of you guys. I want to uplift myself. I want to tell myself I can do it, encourage myself. Um, another thing is visualizing what needs to be done. You know, what is that final product going to look like in my head? What do I want it to look like? And I think that helps you get started on that task because maybe it drives some excitement um, into getting it done. 
and then writing down a plan. I'm a big set, a timetable. So if I have this big paper that needs to be done when I was in school, you know, saying that I need to get the intro done by this date, I need to get the body of the paper done by this date, the resources, you know, whatever it is, set a schedule. It doesn't all have to be done at once. Make a schedule for it. I often, I am one of those, I don't know if a lot of people do this, but I use the actual um, schedule books that you have to write down the planners. I just don't put things in my phone. And for me, it's really helpful to write down what needs to be done. And then when I accomplish it, crossing it out, that makes me feel so good. Even if it's unloading the dishwasher, I just know I got a task done that day. Um, So making those schedules, doing rough drafts of things. It's okay to start and stop and be unsuccessful and not have it look like what it needs to be done. And then setting those goals. Um, Minimizing distractions. If I know I need to get something done, like we're going to take the cell phone and we're going to put it aside. We're going to turn social media off, alerts on our phones, you know, whatever's going to be distracting us. You know, pets are distracting lock them out, close the door. Um, And then I negotiate rewards for myself. If I get this done, then I'm going to allow myself 30 minutes of TV time, or I'm going to allow myself to have that Snickers bar as a reward. You know, they can be little tiny things, little gains that kind of trick my mind into getting something done and staying on task. And then when all else fails, give yourself grace and forgiveness for when you mess up, when you don't get the task done, if you have this whole plan and you still procrastinate on the task, forgive yourself and make a plan to do better the next time. Jennifer Smith has been involved with Hedgehog Rescue in her spare time since 2010. She's had at least 15 hedgehogs in her care since that time and has worked with exotic veterinarians and pet physical therapists to help advance the knowledge of pet hedgehogs here in Maryland. She is currently the proud owner of one hedgehog, Stabby. Hello, and thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. We have to learn about hedgehogs, greatest animal. (laughs) So our first question for you. Mm -hmm. Hedgehogs are known for their spikes. So how do you handle one without hurting yourself or them, most importantly? That's a great question. Uh, So we call hedgehog spikes we call them quills um and different animals do have like porcupines um they'll have different kind of quills and spikes so what's interesting is that below the skin of a hedgehog they have a muscle kind of like how our hands you know like when you make a fist when a hedgehog really gets upset they'll pull in their muscles uh and that holds on to their quills so they will that makes the the quills much more like stabby kind of you know hurtful so depending on how upset a hedgehog is that is how how sharp the quills are so uh with that just like it is with your hand um it goes they they go a certain way they'll go they kind of go i say with the grain so go the quills go facing from head down to the tail um so i try and figure out okay which way is the head facing and then i can go with the grain, so to speak. So that way the quills will go down a little bit. Unfortunately, hedgehogs, they can be pretty chill. I know Stabby is, uh, has gotten much, much calmer. So his quills, they tend to be down a lot of the time. Um, So it's a lot easier to pick them up that way. And it just feels like, uh, like pine needles or like a brush kind of, it is kind of rough, but it's not, 
it's it's not like tiny knives so <laughs> brave voices brave choices is a new initiative from the howard county library system that harnesses the power of storytelling and invites community members to share and reflect on their own personal experiences related to racism and discrimination by contributing these stories through the library's website in this episode we speak with library president and ceo about this new initiative and how the library is actively working for an educational pursuit of justice Tonya Aikens is president and CEO of Howard County Library System, a nationally recognized five-star library for delivering excellence in public education for all ages. All right. Hello, Ms. Tonya Aikens. Thank you for joining us today. And we'll jump into our first question. So what are some things you'll be looking forward to in this initiative? Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I admire the work you all are doing. So thank you so much for, for your contributions. Um, I am very people-centered and a natural connector. Um, I believe in asset-based community development, collective impact, collective learning, all of which really amplify the asset of community members. So I'm looking forward to connecting people and communities and organizations who likely would not connect otherwise and providing space for them to discover common ground uh, respect across differences, ways their lives and their work can be enhanced through deeper and more equitable relationships. Um, I'm excited to see what bubbles up organically uh, out of the connections and stories and conversations that are taking place. And the change, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the change, small and large, individual and in our institutions and systems uh, that comes about as a result of this initiative. Often, HokoCast features segments on fascinating subjects. Let's take a look at a sampling of segments that cover the history of the horror genre, tackle teen mental health issues, uncover the origins of LGBTQ literature, investigate the beginnings of St. Valentine's Day holiday, shed light on teen sexual health, and research on why dogs are so happy. Now, horror is a large genre with a long history, and while we won't cover the whole history of horror, there are some important highlights that we want to discuss so we can understand why some certain subgenres for horror are popular. The 1800s really started the horror genre as we know it today. One of the most notable works of this period includes the book celebrating its 201st anniversary this year, Frankenstein, the Modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. This book, along with classics adapted time and time again, like Sleepy Hollow and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, marks when today's type of horror novels began to ramp up in popularity. In the 1900s, events such as the Great Depression and the Cold War, the fear caused then directly related to people's tastes in horror. To turn away from the depression, horror caused by supernatural events was written to forget reality, while fear of invasion caused by the Cold War fueled horror works that built on paranoia. The 1950s was when psychological thrillers were born out of, once again, what people were experiencing when learning about the infamous serial killer, Ed Gein, who inspired Psycho, Hannibal Lecter, and a type of horror focused on the human experience. Still, there can only be so many slashers before paranormal works come back into popularity, and only so many of those before a new subgenre has its time of fame. Today, Horror regularly fluctuates with what's popular, allowing for a mashup of genres and elements to create original and captivating works. 
During these uncertain times, it can be hard to know where to turn for help. Whether you're stressed out with school and looking for additional support, or concerned about a friend who isn't as social as they used to be, the Bureau of Behavioral Health at the Howard County Health Department is here to help. There are many programs offered at the Bureau to support the mental health and well-being of Howard County teens. Our Behavioral Health Navigation Service can help you find the right mental health or substance use services for you or your loved ones. We also update a website for teens where you can find information about mental health and suicide prevention, including warning signs of suicide and tips for how to talk about it, crisis intervention resources, and a youth behavioral health directory. Visit teenhealthmatters.org to learn more or call 410-313-6240 to speak with our behavioral health navigator. Thank you. Queer writing can be traced all the way back to Greek mythology, with one of the most prominent examples being the relationship of Achilles and Patroclus. In the Iliad, Homer never directly states that Achilles and Patroclus are gay, but does express them having a tender relationship with homosexual subtext, as Achilles loses all sense of himself once Patroclus is killed in the Trojan War, becoming so bent on avenging his friend that he is reckless to the point of his death. The two then have their ashes mixed together so that they will never be apart. And for a more directly queer retelling, I'd recommend Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Let's take a look at some of the myths surrounding Valentine's Day and its tradition. All of the myths I've collected have three things in common. Number one, Valentine is the name of a saint. Number two, Saint Valentine was involved with love in some way. And number three, February 14th was the day he was executed. One myth suggests that St. Valentine was a priest during the 3rd century in Rome. When Emperor Claudius II declared that marriage was illegal, Valentine was very unhappy. The saint illegally continued to marry couples in secret. The emperor found out about Valentine's doings and ordered him to be executed. Another myth ties in with the last one. It takes place in the prison in which the saint was being held before his execution. The myth claims that St. Valentine fell in love with the jailer's daughter. Before his death, he wrote a letter to her and signed it, From Your Valentine, which began the tradition of signing a Carter gift in the same way. Let's talk about love, or more specifically, making love. Here with us today is Kirsten Miner, Teen Health Matters Community Health Educator, with a segment on sexual health, an important topic that is all too often overlooked. It's February and love is in the air, and whether you've been visited by Cupid or you're still patiently waiting, the Howard County Health Department wants you to be aware of the health services and resources we have available to you to meet your sexual health needs. Whether you're abstinent, sexually active, or are simply curious about becoming sexually active, being knowledgeable of what health resources you have when you make that choice can be empowering so you know how to best protect yourself and others. Ever wondered why dogs are so heckin' happy all the time? Me too. So let's agree to stop barking up the wrong tree and get some answers, starting with pack structure. As we know, dogs descended from the mighty wolves, and though chihuahuas might not look anything like wolves, that spirit lives on, just condensed. Wolves and dogs are very social animals. Researchers know that wild wolves will care for incapacitated pack mates and collaborate to solve problems. Likewise, dogs are not called man's best friend for nothing. The natural canine instinct is to work with and protect your pack, 
which is why dogs make perfect service animals. Though no disrespect to the service ponies and the support hedgehogs out there. This instinct is exemplified in bonding behaviors like face licking, which canines first receive as puppies as a reassurance from their mother. This carries over as dogs lick their owners as a greeting, and also to check you out, considering the multitude of receptors dogs have in the nose and mouth area. So, next time you see an adorable dog wagging their tail and flashing those big old puppy eyes, give them some love back. For science, that is. A library-sponsored podcast would not be complete without book reviews and recommendations. Our podcasters share their favorites while inspiring you to find your next book or movie or TV show or manga. Imagine you're living a regular life, going to school, having small talk with your middle school crush, and getting ready for college. One night, you wake up and you notice that a small, worm-like creature is burying itself into your right hand. You do the best you can to shake it off, and after believing doing so, you resume sleeping. The next day, after school, you find that the creature had actually taken over your right hand, and you now have to form a symbiotic relationship to survive in a new and horrifying world with man-eating parasites. This is the story of Izumi Shinichi, the main protagonist of the anime and manga Parasite the Maxim. Parasite the Maxim, written and illustrated by Hitoshi Iwaki, is a thrilling and entertaining telling of a sci-fi adventure in the perspective of an adolescent boy and his partner in crime, Migi, a strange creature living in his right arm. By tackling philosophical questions, inquiring about the value of human society and what it means to be a human, Iwaki gained widespread recognition for his work. But before I get into any praise I have for this story, I just have to give some mandatory criticism. Specifically to the anime. Not trying to upset anyone, just my opinion. It's just a bit tacky with slow pacing and confusing plot holes. Um, but there is one issue that I have with both the anime and the manga. The harem. Now, if you don't know what a harem is, it's basically where a singular person is given multiple love interests. And it's a staple anime trope that's been in the medium for decades. This gives room for unnecessary characters, strange plot lines and just a whole lot of stuff that you don't really want in a story that's trying to ask about the meaning of life. Despite all this though, I have to give Iwaki credit where it's due. The art is uncanny yet beautiful, with the storyline full of action and suspense. The characters have meaningful depth. For example, there's this one character named Tamiya Reiko, who's a parasite in a human body who starts off as an emotionless character experimenting on a child, who eventually starts to care for the child and become more human-like. I think the best aspect in all the chaos that is this story, though, is Shinichi's ex- existential crisis. What I mean by this is not him questioning what to do with his life, but him questioning his own humanity. The question is consistently brought up through each significant event of this story. What does it mean to be human? Emotions? Complexity? Shinichi, along with the audience, continuously tries to answer this question as the story progresses. I don't want to give any spoilers, but I, can, I can't emphasize enough how much I love Shinichi's trail, and just the way these philosophical questions were 
handled throughout the story. You could tell how much thought Iwaki put into making Parasite, and it's because of all this that it's so enjoyable. All in all, I guess I'm just a sucker for stories with the confusing mix of depth and violence. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. This is really gory, so if you're not okay with that, I recommend not watching. Um, but if you're looking for an anime to watch or make it to read during the spooky season, I say Parasite is a great way to go. You'll be charmed by the action, fascinated by most characters, and skeptical about your own human nature. Oh, and you'll start wishing for a monster-fighting parasite to take over your arm. Watch or read Parasite the Maxim. Choosing a favorite book from the whole year is not a simple task, but I'm going to award the position to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. While now the host of the American television show, The Daily Show, Noah grew up in South Africa under apartheid. Born a Crime is his coming-of-age memoir about the experience, starting from, as the title suggests, the illegality of his birth as the result of an interracial relationship. Each story within the memoir is gripping, whether about trying to impress girls as a teenager or the reality of the colonialist system he grew up under. This is definitely a book where you'll find yourself saying, oh, just a few more pages, until you realize you're already halfway through. The stories are written together in an expert fashion that weaves in comedy and insights on the world in such a natural way. Insight about the history, civics, and daily life of South Africa under apartheid is sprinkled throughout the pages, narrated in a matter-of-fact but still personal delivery. I own a print copy of the book, but I also want to mention that I've heard glowing reviews of the audio version of Born a Crime, adeptly narrated by Noah as well. I've heard his narration be described as a performance, and Born a Crime is one that you surely won't want to miss. What were the drawings of? Will was wide-eyed. All sorts, apparently. Infernal machines, strange animals, and impossible landscapes, and things no one could understand. The sticks said it was all the product of a diseased mind, but others say the things he drew really exist. To this very day, the drawings are kept under lock and key in the governor's vaults, though no one I know has ever seen them. God, I'd give anything to look at those, Will said, spellbound. Uncle Tam gave a deep chuckle. What? Will asked. Well, apparently, that Burroughs fellow said the self-same thing when he was told the tale. The self-same words he used. This quote comes from Tunnels by Roderick Gordon and Brian Williams. The book is the first in a series which follows Will Burroughs on a journey to a mysterious world beneath the ground. When his father goes missing, Will and his friend Chester follow the clues of his disappearance to a tunnel beneath London, leading to a secret and ancient society that lives far underground. What he finds in this dark underworld reveals to Will life-changing secrets and deadly dangers. Tunnels is an exciting first entry to the author duo series, and if you like adventure, then you might want to give it a try. Rather than a book, I'm going to recommend an animated television show called Avatar The Last Airbender. In a world divided by the elemental power some people hold, the Fire Nation has reigned tyranny over the land, disturbing the harmony and upsetting the balance. Under an oppressive rule, everyone seeks freedom from the Fire Nation, but only the Avatar, the master of all four elements, is powerful enough to face the Fire Lord and end his rule. Unfortunately, when the world needed him most, he was gone, until one of our main characters, Katara, and her brother Sokka find him trapped in a giant iceberg and their journey begins. Join the Avatar on his journey to train to face the Fire Lord, all while uniting the other nations and gathering an army to restore balance and harmony to the land, just as it used to be. 
One of my favorite books is Kids of Appetite by David Arnold. It's beautiful, frankly, with a narration that defies mundane monotony by focusing on the incredible center of even the most ordinary of life aspects. Bruno Victor Bonucci III, aka Vic, is a heart thinker who loves opera and suffers from a facial disorder and may or may not have stolen his father's urn to preserve the memory of the man he loved. The cast soon broadens to include Mad, Baz, Suz, and Coco, each an outsider in their own way who have found solace in each other, and the five set out on an adventure of fulfillment, undeterred by constraints of society. This is not a straightforward story. It begins with a death and ends with a murder. The middle, however, is what matters, as these outsiders discover what it means to love and be loved. I have many favorite movies and TV shows, but few are adaptations of books. My all-time favorite book-to-movie adaptation is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Both the book and TV show are absolute masterpieces, but they are slightly different. The original book is amazing. Within the first chapter of the book, you can easily decipher the personalities of each character. This is taken to the next level in the TV show. The acting is so fantastic, you just know who these people are based on their first for you lines. The book tells the story of an angel and a demon who team up to prevent the end of the world. Now, that's taking the entire story and putting it into the utmost simplest definition. Some say the show and book both have a much deeper meaning than what is on the outside, but I won't say any more. They are both fantastic works of art, and I hope you are intrigued to check them out. you've finished your summer reading and are looking for an additional challenge, stay tuned for the library's fall reading program. Track your reading, play fun educational mini-games, and find missions full of activities. Discover HCLS e-resources along the way. Earn points and unlock badges. Starting in September, you can register and participate online at hcls.readsquared.com or download and print a paper copy. Happy reading! Are you interested in sharing your voice as a member of the library's youth-led podcast? Contact HokoCast advisor Lori Conforti using the link in the show notes for additional details. We have many ways for teens to contribute, and you may be eligible to earn service hours for those contributions. Thanks for listening to HokoCast for these past two years. We hope you've enjoyed this mixtape featuring the wide variety of interviews, segments, and reviews from our podcasters Abby, Baz, Daniel, Emerson, Olivia, and Ronan. Links to the entire episodes featured in this mixtape can be found in the show notes. HokoCast is grateful to the Howard County Library System for all its support and sponsorship, and we look forward to many more successful years as your teen-led library podcast.